Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. The New York Mets are kicking ass out west. Welcome to Rico Bronia. We are doing this halfway through the four-game series against the San Francisco Giants. Pete and I are recording this right after the late-night Friday night victory as Joey Lucchese, of all people, delivers seven brilliant innings and the Mets beat the San Francisco Giants 7-0. Back-to-back wins against the Giants, 9-4, 7-0. They have had an outstanding West Coast trip. A lot to get to. We'll recap both of the games against San Francisco, plus all the news over the last 48 hours. There's been a ton. The Max Scherzer suspension. Max Scherzer deciding not to fight the suspension. A veteran washed-up starting pitcher that may be available and obviously the news around Ronnie Mauricio and how the Mets are going to start to use him. But let's start off with the way this team is playing. I looked, and I mentioned this on the last Rico, when they played that finale against the Dodgers, that felt like an extra important game. You know, you play 162 games, you want to win all of them, but there are certain games in the 162 that feel just a little bit more important. We had mentioned that even last week when they wrapped up the three-game series against San Diego, that that was a big swing game. They win the game against the L.A. Dodgers, which was surprising, especially when Max Scherzer's ejected, and now you're looking at Jimmy Yacobonis in the Met bullpen. Now they take on this lousy San Francisco Giants team, and in the opener of this series, the offense looks pretty quiet. It's not really doing much early against Sean Manaya, and they did have the leadoff man on a couple of times. They do nothing, and then explode in the fourth inning and the explosion had a lot to do with Pete Alonzo who continues to hit home runs every freaking day hits the two run home run that gave him a two nothing lead Eduardo Escobar hits a home run they jump all over Sean Manaya. they give Kodai Senga a big comfortable five nothing lead and Senga struggles and I'm we're still figuring out Kodai Senga I'm wondering if Senga struggles with leads because he struggled against the Oakland A's, and that was a weird game where there was so much time in between batters, so much time in between innings, not really batters, between innings, and Sango was warming up in the bullpen to try to keep himself sharp. So I wonder, because in this game, the Mets give him a 5 nothing lead, and then in the fifth inning, he really labored. He gave up a couple of home runs, issued a bunch of walks, and he's able to finally get through that inning. But maybe it's because... Pitching with a lead, he struggles with. I don't know. Guys only made four major league starts with this team, so we're figuring it out. 
But then the Mets add insurance in the sixth, insurance in the seventh. Jeff McNeil has a breakout performance hitting his first home run of the season and getting three more base hits. It was just an all-around fun offensive effort as they win the opener of this series against the Giants. And what's funny is going into that game on Thursday night, what was everybody's complaints? I know it was probably Pete's complaint. I haven't had some complaints. And that was the lineup. The fact that Tomas Nito was catching, the fact that Brett Beatty was not playing third base, the fact that Escobar and Nito were in the lineup and Alvarez and Beatty weren't. Am I right, Pete? You were pissed off about that. Yeah, I was actually very pissed. And I made a point about the fifth inning. I think that Francisco Alvarez could have just been just as bad behind the plate. Uh, and he could have helped Cody Singh give him four runs in fifth. So. so here's my issue about the lineup. My issue, uh, Nito Alvarez, I agree with. Let's just put that away. That's obvious. And that's been a debate we've been having for the last week or so. Um, Alvarez is starting to play a little bit more. He has started one of the two games in San Francisco. He started a game against the Dodgers, but he did start two against Oakland. So it does feel like it's trending a little bit better, but obviously he's not playing every single day. I did not have an issue with Eduardo Escobar starting. And I'll tell you why. Escobar had good career numbers against Sean Manaya, and I don't want to ignore that because you are still trying to win games. Here's my problem. Beatty still should have been in the lineup. I'm defending Escobar playing. Well, there are ways Escobar could have played and Brett Beatty could have played. One example is Luis Guillorme. Now, Guillorme had a good game. He had a good game both times, but he drew a walk. He had a double, and we all know how great his defense is. I'm just saying going into the game, because obviously we don't know the results. I didn't have an issue with Escobar playing. My issue more was why can't Brett Beatty play too? Uh, it wasn't even Tommy Pham DHing because that was another option. There's various ways Escobar can play, and so can Beatty. One is Beatty plays third base, Escobar DHs. But the one I was really thinking about was Beatty plays third base, Escobar plays second. So I think a lot of Met fans' issue may have been Escobar. That was not my issue, but it was more Brett Beatty should play against Sean Manaya. We talked about this when you were out, Pete, uh, Lugie, and I. I had no problem sitting Beatty against Kershaw. He's an all-time great left-hander. It could put him in a massive batting slump when you're facing a Hall of Fame pitcher like that. But against the likes of Sean Manaya, let him play. Against every other lefty, not named Clayton Kershaw, I would have Brett Beatty out there, let him play. He is letting him face left-handed relievers, which we've seen. So I keep it up because the only way Brett Beatty is going to learn how to hit left-handed pitching is to just continue to face left-handed pitching. No, and we saw that in the, in minor leagues too. Like Beatty was still able to to hit left-handed pitching, so it's not like he can't do it. I I don't disagree with the Kershaw stuff. It's a little bit difficult, but it's different. Clayton Kershaw is a future Hall of Famer. We're not talking about Sean Manai, who we've watched him blow up for the past couple seasons in San Diego. Yes, there's a difference. Absolutely, uh, there's no doubt a difference. And as this team continues to face lefties who they seem to face every other day. It's crazy how often they face left-handed pitching. Brett Beatty should be out there. Escobar is going to get to play, and I don't have a problem with that. It's more how do you balance Beatty getting a chance to play along with Escobar getting a chance to play. As far as the game we just watched, the middle game or game two of this four-game series, we got to hand it to your boy, Joseph Arthur Aloysius Michelangelo Lucchese because Joey Lou 
delivered. And I didn't expect that. He was pitching well at AAA. He was. I think in his last performance, he pitched into the seventh inning. So we know he's been stretched out. But I did not expect, I really didn't, even against the Giants, that in his first start in the major leagues, after Tommy John surgery, that Joey Lucchese would give us, without a shadow of a doubt, the best performance we've seen from a starting pitcher. The Mets starting pitching this year, while I wouldn't say it's been bad, has not gone deep into games. Again, real quick, this is how the Mets have done in terms of innings pitched from their starting pitchers. Six innings, five innings, five innings, five and a third, four innings, five and a third, four innings, six, six, four and two-thirds, five, five and two-thirds, five, four and two-thirds, five, five, six, five, three, five, and then Lou Casey. There's a lot of fives in there. There's a couple of fours in there. The best we've seen was six. On this night in the Bay Area, Joey Lucchese pitched seven scoreless innings, allowed only four base hits. He walked two guys, both of which came early in the game, and he struck out nine. He got better as the game went on. His pitch count was 97 after seven, so I get why Buck took him out. But, Pete, he could have gone eight. (laughs) I mean, he, he struck out the side. In the last inning he pitched, he was as dominant and as really as good as we've ever seen him as a Met. First of all, I looked this up because I know you're going to go with the crazy middle names. It's Joseph George Lucchese. But that's so boring. Up. George is so it's, boring, Pete. It's not boring. It's <laughs> badass. J.G. Lucchese. Let's go. With the his version of the slutter, whatever it is he throws, <laughs> the slurve, the churve, who cares? I told everybody this. There was one guy I wanted to see, and you were knocking this. You're like, ah, Joey Lucchese, you can't rely upon. This guy, he actually had some decent moments in San Diego a few years ago. Obviously, the Tommy John set him back, but he's a professional pitcher. I, I know people can't imagine that. I, I Listen, it's unexpected so so soon, but this guy might be the key to our, our rotation. All I said about Lucchese is that Peterson, Miguel, Budo, I was kind of back and forth about, just deserved to be ahead of him on the depth chart. That's all it was. Well, guess what? The depth chart <laughs> has been has been blown up. You know, Peterson and McGill were in the rotation basically before the season started. Budo got the call and can't come up for another eight or nine days, or less than that now, but c- could not come up. So we were down to Lou Casey. And I just viewed him as seventh, eighth, ninth on that chart. But when you get an opportunity, you got to go out and perform. And if you go out and perform, you could change everything. Uh, I go back to DeGrom. When DeGrom was called up back in 2014, Rafael Montero was the bigger prospect. Rafael Montero was the guy who was supposed to make the starts and stay in the rotation. DeGrom was great in his first major league start. The Mets never took him out of the rotation. And so there is an opportunity ahead of Joey Lucchese. And in his first start back is... I barely remember him now from 2021. You're right. He had good moments with San Diego, and I do remember that. But as far as him with us in 2021, it it wasn't a lot. And it's been a long time, a very long time. So it was great to see him back. It was great to see him get through trouble early because he was able to do that. 
He gave up a one-out double to Wilmer Flores, walked Aaron Ruff, and got a huge double play against J.D. Davis. Luis Guillorme and Francisco Lindor is just, their leather is beautiful. It's just such a beautiful double play combination. So as much as I said, hey, Escobar in the lineup is fine, play Beatty at third base, I also acknowledge that while that's better offensively, despite Guillorme actually hitting recently, he's there for his defense and he's brilliant defensively, but he gets through the first inning, gives up a leadoff walk in the second inning, gets through that inning, gets another double play in the third inning. Really the first three innings, he was not dominant, but he was able to make the big pitch when he needed to was able to get big double play balls, two double plays in the first two innings. Brandon Nimmo made another great catch on that. Yastrzemski play. And then really I'd say from the fourth inning on, he was dominant. And it's unhittable. He struck out two guys in the fourth. He struck out all three guys in the fifth with a single mixed in. Gave up a very cheap bloop single to Tyro Estrada and quickly erased it when Wilmer grounded into a double play. And then he struck out the side in the seventh. He got better as the game went on. This team needs innings from their starting pitching. That's right now. Look, they're playing great baseball, so it's tough to kind of nitpick their issues. But their biggest issue, and it's more of a thing that will affect them long-term, is you can't get four or five innings out of your starters every day. It's just, it's an unsustainable thing, even if you're calling up guys from the minors every few days. So it was great to see seven innings where you don't have to use your bullpen. Brooks Raley comes in, pitches an inning great, and then Tommy Hunter gets to lower that ballooned-up ERA. Obviously, the Met offense backed them up in this game. Pete Alonso continues to... Have a special season. 